0: Hello and welcome to the Advantage Investor, a Raymond James Limited podcast. A podcast that provides perspective for Canadian investors who want to remain knowledgeable, informed, and focused on long-term success. We are recording this on September seventh, twenty twenty-three. I'm Chris Cooksey from the Corporate Communications and Marketing Department here at Raymond James, and today I'm speaking with Equity Analyst Jeremy McCrae. Jeremy will be sharing his insights on the important oil and gas sector with us today, and he has been on the podcast before, so check him out in the archives. Uh, Obviously, it's a sector that's very important to the Canadian economy. So I'm looking forward to hearing Jeremy's thoughts. Jeremy, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Excellent. Always lots to talk to talk about here. So we'll jump right in and maybe we'll start with the 10,000 foot view. Uh, What's been going on in the sector, uh, uh, maybe mostly in the second half here and as we go towards 2024.
1: Yeah, since July 1st, we've seen oil prices jump 25, 26, 27% here. And every day they keep going higher and higher. And I think it's catching a lot of guys flat footed just in terms of how quick this oil rally has become. I think one of the big things that you're seeing here is Saudi Arabia is taking an offensive position, saying if we are heading into a recession, we don't want to be reactive. We want to push inventories, uh, and and cut back on our production uh, first, and be you know preemptive to this recession as opposed to historically always being reactive. And as a result, you're seeing oil prices continue to move up, especially with the recent cut here this week, extending their million barrel a day cut all the way to December now. That I think was a lot longer than I think anyone was was anticipating.
0: Now, um, I imagine the war, uh, Russia Ukraine, is still affecting things, or or has that been pretty much priced in and People are moving on as if, and, I mean, obviously they exist and obviously Russia is still selling oil to some people, but how is that still affecting the market?
1: Yeah, it's still affecting the market just in terms of not knowing what they're going to do almost in a way. And just the the unknown is a huge factor in oil and gas. We, we can all kind of see... You know, here's how much every country is supposed to be producing. We can kind of get an idea of where inventories levels are going to be. But it's these black swan events that suddenly push prices up or push prices lower. And we get them all the time, it seems like now. And so I think the unknown with Russia is how much are they going to produce? Are they going to go in line with what Saudi is pushing for? Are they going to overcome these restrictions that the OECD countries are putting on them? And I think that's just still the unknown and how their ability to sell oil and and even natural gas for that matter too. So, but it's just another global factor that is putting you know and putting a bit of a premium in the oil market here still today. Not as okay. much, but it still it is right
0: now. Uh, you were recently quoted in an article uh, on uh, Yahoo. Uh, finance um they were talking about the uh the banks and their results and 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 sort of the provisions they're making around loans and that sort of thing and and you have noted that uh the loans to the industry you cover or the sector you cover have has changed dramatically uh over the last few years so maybe just uh, touch on that
1: yeah one of the interesting things that's always come out with banks and oil and gas is we do want to lend to energy companies anymore here they're bad risk uh and as a result, you know, bank lending has always dictated a large part of how much spending oil and gas companies could really do here. But I think one of the more interesting things that you if you look at where oil and gas loan impairment is down 94 percent from just a few years ago here, like a pretty astonishing rate. And when you actually look at oil and gas loans, there's less impairment on oil and gas loans than all the other loans that the banks lend out to here, so it's a complete reversal of what we've historically seen to the point where you almost want banks to own oil and gas because it reduces their overall, you know, uh, concern here that that we're seeing. So it's just a, it's a kind of a change of pace that that we're that we've been seeing, you know, over you know since I you know been doing this for 20 years. Like I can't remember any time that this has ever been the case.
0: Okay. And what are you really concentrating on right now in the sector? Um, is there elements of it that are, are doing OK or, or or anything like that? Or where, what, where are you really concentrating your, your efforts right now? So
1: one of the biggest things I always look for in oil and gas is rate of change. And so as much as we look at the commodity and talk about the commodity, the commodity is going to go up and down with these black swan events, and it's hard to forecast when any of those events are going to come to fruition. And what you're always trying to do is there's 35 names generally in the oil and gas space. They're going to go up and down with the commodity, but you're trying to identify what are five names who are doing something different operationally and perhaps avoid the five names that are you know, more eccentric risk here that if the commodity price does drop, they have over leverage, or the well results are deteriorating. And if you can just avoid those five names and pick up five names on the other side, you can generally do quite, quite well here in the sector. And so that's effectively what we're focusing on. But then there's a bunch of other factors that go into this saying, you know, I may be able to identify, you know, five names who are doing something different on the well results or getting much better exploration success. But if the market doesn't appreciate that. Uh, When do they? And you're trying to understand the sentiment and the interest um, in in the the sector. And so one of the things that we do a lot is just trying to understand psychology. And so one chart that I always typically do is, you know, how often do oil and gas stocks get typed into a Bloomberg terminal relative to other TSX listed Mm -hmm. stocks? And despite oil and gas or despite WTI prices up, you know, call it 25, 30 percent here since July 1st. You actually haven't seen uh, Bloomberg or oil and gas tickers being typed into the Bloomberg terminals really much anymore than we saw back in July. And we're still a long ways off from the highs that we saw last year back in June, which tells me there's still a lot of guys on the sidelines here. And this price run has really caught a lot of guys offside. And yes, stocks have moved, but it seems like there's still a lot more to go just given how little interest the people are still typing in these stickers here into the the Bloomberg terminal
0: right um I find it weird that uh when I when people I'm talking with my friends or family or whatever and we're talking about how expensive everything is no one is expecting no one is mentioning oil and gas really or gas prices or anything like that I guess everything else has gone up so much oil and gas has a little room to catch up there almost
1: yeah I think there is some definite room to to catch up here you know if twenty. 2022, 2023 was year of the debt repayment. Uh, What you're going to see here for 2024 is year of buybacks and year of contemplating more additional growth. And the reason why I talk about additional growth is because we do this other study that looks at change in institutional fund ownership and basically looks at every institutional fund that has ever owned a Canadian E&P over the last five years what are those funds doing and this is looking at Canadian funds US funds overseas and the biggest buyers of Canadian Canadian oil and gas companies right now have actually been US operators they've probably bought about 95% of all the additional buying that's come into the sector and actually Canadian funds have been net sellers Uh, ironically, but it's these U.S. funds that are coming in on mass. And one of the biggest things that's changing in the U.S. is if you look at the Hainesville, the Permian, the Eagleford, these are the big growth plays out of the U.S. But there's more and more studies being done that shows that the inventory in those areas is really becoming more and more depleted. You probably only have five, six, seven years But it's so much so that you're going from your tier one inventory and looking at tier two, tier three inventory, which is including in that. And you can see the well productivity continues to get lower and lower and lower. And you're seeing a result, the rig counts fall off here as well, too. So despite higher oil prices, you're seeing a real slowdown in this. And this is why you're seeing a lot of these U.S. investors now look up into Canada and saying, what do we have up here, here in terms of the growth? And when you look at evolution that you're seeing in the Montney with frack designs and how these multilateral well d- designs are opening up all these heavy oil plays in the Clearwater and these stacked other heavy oil plays. It really is opening up uh, a new land rush in terms of, um, you know, the companies that have this. And that's typically where you see the multiple first. But right now you probably have that multiple expansion and the improvement in the commodity price that are both helping move up these share prices here for Canadian oil and gas.
0: So the institutional buyers are coming in from the U.S. basically. Is that is that fair? Yeah,
1: that's uh, that's fair.
0: Okay, And um, as we move into the into the last quarter and into 2024, um, you expect this, all the the trends we've spoken, you you expect them to continue? There's no
1: reason why it should change here right now as I think part of the Saudis strategy here is I think they're also looking at the same data that we're seeing and seeing the slowdown in the Eagle for the Permian, like these big growth plays and saying, you know, even if we increase commodity prices, I don't think these US operators have the will or the ability to, uh, you know, add additional production. You know, the Dallas Fed always does a survey every quarter. And one of the questions that they asked here recently was, you know, with higher commodity prices, why haven't you added more growth? And they give a bunch of reasons. And, you know, supply chain was, you know, number one. But shortly behind it was maturing asset base and we don't have any inventory. Mm. And so I think the Saudis see that saying, you know what, we can probably cut production because last time we did this in 2024 20, or, you know, back in you know the prior decade, uh, every time they cut, the US would just say, oh, let's add more rigs and add more production and would negate all those cuts. But now Saudi says we can cut, we can dictate where we want that price and the US really can't do anything about it. And so you've seen them say and, and take a stand here saying, you know, what? we want prices up at, you know, $90 here effectively, if not higher. And we have the ability to control that and no one can do anything about it. So that's part one. And then part two you got TMX expansion here that they're going to start their line fill here pretty soon which is going to take um a lot of you know excess d- demand out of Canada here which really should narrow that oil heavy oil differential that we've been having in Canada for the last year and so the combination of a narrow differential um higher WTI prices then add a weak Canadian dollar And you're at $115 light oil Canadian prices, which is two times more than what we saw for the last seven years here. So it is really working well here for Canadian oil and gas companies. And I just think some of these nuances that have all come together here in the last month still aren't fully appreciated by, you know, the bigger generalist investors.
0: Interesting times as always, Jeremy. Uh, I would like to thank you for your time today. Always great insights. Uh, And to the listeners out there, Ah, uh, Jeremy is a regular poster on Twitter and LinkedIn, so give him a follow for more insights. And uh, with that, Jeremy, look to have forward to having you back in the future. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, Jeremy McRae, CFA. If anybody is looking for my handle, beautiful. Reach out to us at the Advantage Investor Pod at RaymondJames.ca. Subscribe to the Advantage Investor on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please contact your advisor with any questions you have. On behalf of Raymond James and the Advantage Investor, thank you for taking the time to listen today. Until next time, stay well. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Statistics and factual data and other information are from sources Raymond James Limited believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Information is furnished on the basis and understanding that Raymond James Limited is to be under no liability whatsoever in respect thereof. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any product and should not be considered tax advice. Raymond James Advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund.